Hello, everyone. Hello. My name's Matt. I'm the youth pastor here. I'm so excited to get to share a message with you today. Um, today is the last week of our Fearless series that we've been doing since Easter. And Dan has talked about how to face your fear, how to deal with financial fears, how to deal with fear of failure, and all these things. And today I'm going to talk to you about how to face your future. Um, and what's really cool about this is for our senior high students, um, I, I didn't know this was what I was going to be preaching on until recently when Dan told me about this series, but all spring we've really been looking at how to face your future with our senior high students um, in what I think is the most depressing book of the Bible, which is Ecclesiastes. Um, so that's where we're going to be today in the book of Ecclesiastes. And some of you um, very well-versed Bible people may right now be saying, well, Matt, Ecclesiastes is sad, but what about Lamentations or Jeremiah? Well, those books offer hope. Ecclesiastes doesn't offer much hope. We're going to have a lot of fun today, um, but, but we're also, I want to start by just saying, um, if you've got to leave in like 20 minutes, this is the only time I will ever say this from the stage, but if you've got to leave in 20 minutes, just in the next minute or so, pretend like you have a phone call, pick up your phone, walk out, and just drive away. Because if you, if you leave early, you're going to leave without any hope. Because the book of Ecclesiastes is a very grim book on the surface. It's a very grim book when you dig in. And without hope that comes from later in the Bible, the book of Ecclesiastes is kind of like a, wow, I'm human and that kind of stinks. That, that kind of sums up the book in one sense. So we're going to look at that today. And you may wonder why we're even looking at a book this sad and the, or, or hard. Uh, the, the reason is, and it comes right at the end, um, the, the, the book is written by Solomon and he ends the book with a couple big points. And one of his big points he says in chapter 12, the words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. Words of the wise, that's the book of Ecclesiastes, and collected sayings, same thing. It's a chiasm. Um, but, but they are given by one shepherd. So, so if, if you've ever read other places in the Bible, we know that Jesus is our good shepherd, or God is our shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside green pastures. He gives me rest. He does all these things. Um, and, and God is our shepherd, we're his sheep. And the, the, the thing is, um, this tool called a goad, um, this is something that shepherds had. They had their nice little staff, and there's all the pictures of Jesus holding lambs, and there's all these things where it's like, oh, look how gentle the shepherd is with the sheep. But, but the reality is, and, and for an, an audience reading the book of Ecclesiastes, when they think about a shepherd, they think about someone who's moving sheep. And if you've been around sheep, they are stubborn, and they are stupid. And so, so if the book of Ecclesiastes is true and we're all sheep, then you're stubborn and you're stupid. And if you don't believe that you're stubborn, you're stupid. Um, and if you don't believe you're stupid, you're stubborn. So, so just think about that for a moment. Trust me, it's true. But, but what a goat is. Um, the, the best imagery I can think of is if you've ever seen like a zombie movie where there's the guy who has the baseball bat and they like nail they put nails through it, and so it's like a, a wooden baseball bat that has a nail through it. Yeah, that's a goad. Um, or, or a goad can be on their beautiful staff that has the hook on top that, that you're used to. On the bottom, there's just a big spike. And so what, the, what this good shepherd, what God does is he tries to lead us, and there's times where we dig in our feet. And when we read the book of Ecclesiastes, there's going to be points today where you're like, ah, I don't want to move forward, God. I don't like how this feels. 
And if you've ever played the game Uncle, you know where someone comes up and they like dig into a pressure point until you yell out Uncle? You're probably going to feel God just kind of put his knuckle in like that one spot in your shoulder blade and just kind of dig in until you say uncle, because that's what goading is. The, the shepherd would try and gently move the sheep, and then when the sheep said, I'm not going, the shepherd would get out the goad or the bottom of the staff, and they'd start poking and prodding and prodding harder and prodding harder until finally the sheep would move. And that's the point of the book of Ecclesiastes, is to confront us with things we really don't want to be led to and then force us to step into them. So you're going to get goaded today. Hopefully, if you don't, good job, or you didn't listen. One of those two is true. Um, but that's, that's what we're going to be looking at today. And so I'm going to open in prayer. Again, if you've got to leave early and you're worried about leaving without hope, when I get done praying, I'm not going to remember you left the audience. So here's your chance. So, uh, Dear Father, Good Shepherd, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you are a shepherd that looks at sheep and sees worth in them. Despite our stubbornness, despite our stupidity, despite our unwillingness to go where we should go, you're willing to goad us and push us and try and move us towards where we need to be. We thank you that that you love us so much that you would do that, and we pray today that um, the words I speak would not be mine, but would be yours. You'd be speaking through me, and that you would give us all ears to hear, and that when we feel you prodding, when we feel the goading, that we would step into it, that we would write it down, that we would reflect on it this week, that, that we would just recognize the way that you're trying to move us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So the book of Ecclesiastes is one of three books written by King Solomon. If you don't know who King Solomon is, he's the third king of Israel, the last king of the whole Israel. That's a whole different topic. But King Solomon is the wisest man who ever lived outside Jesus. He's the wealthiest man who ever lived outside of Jesus post-resurrection. King Solomon is this man that, that anything he did went well. When he was young, God said, do you want wealth? Do you want long life? And Solomon said, you know what? I want wisdom. And God said, I will give you all the wisdom and knowledge you need, and I'm going to give you long life and wealth. Everything King Solomon did worked out well for the nation. In fact, it worked out so well that King Solomon, by the time he died, he had 700 wives. And you may be like, "Why? that sounds like a lot. Um, but, but the reason is, is that other nations would look at how powerful and influential Israel was, and they would say, we want to be aligned with that. And they would send a princess to him to marry him, along with as much of their treasury as they could afford to give up, to say, Israel, please be aligned with us. Israel under King Solomon became a superpower of all superpowers. Under David, they were constantly fighting border disputes. And under Saul, the same thing, fighting against the Philistines. Under Solomon, they they didn't have to fight battles. They just said, here's who we are. And King Solomon, in his wisdom, would talk to other kings. And they'd be like, you know what? We're going to give you just everything we can. And not because he tricked them, but because they recognized how amazing and intelligent and wise he was. Everyone wanted to align with Israel because of Solomon's great wisdom. He, he had such influence and power that, that if he decided, you know what, for the next like three years, I'm just going to pursue whatever I want, the nation was so well off under him that, that the nation still prospered. It, king Solomon was the king who had access to everything and more. You know how they say there's always someone like smarter than you or richer than you or better looking than you or or wiser than you? King Solomon was all of those things. Um, He was just a king above all kings. 
And, and we need to recognize that as we start because the book of Ecclesiastes is where he's talking about what it means to be human. And so to the man who had everything and more, to the man who was wiser and more knowledgeable than anyone else who ever existed, to, to the man that could just at, at a whim have whatever he wanted, the way he opens the book of Ecclesiastes is this. Futile, futile, laments the teacher, that's Solomon. Absolutely futile. Everything is futile. He, he built the temple of God. He, he did all of these things, and he was a man who had everything he could have. And he said, futile, futile. Everything's futile. It is all futile. And futile, you may be thinking, what does he mean by futile? Well, other translations, because Hebrew poetry and wisdom literature is really hard, other translations say vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Absolutely everything is vanity. That's the ESV. The NIV, which is a translation to help us as modern readers, says meaningless. Meaningless. Everything is meaningless. The person who had everything and all knowledge and all wisdom looked around and said, in my life, I look at all this, and man, it is just meaningless. It's meaningless. And, and what's interesting here is that this word, it, we have to talk about this word because it shows up like 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. The word behind meaningless or futile or vain, it's hevel. And, and what it means, it, it can mean meaningless or vanity or futility, but what the word actually means is smoke or vapor. The idea is King Solomon looks at everything he has received, everything he has, everything he has gained, everything he has learned, every relationship he has, the power of Israel at all its might, at the height of his kingdom. And he says it's all smoke. Vapor, vapor, says the preacher. Absolutely vapor. Everything is vapor. Now, when you hear vapor, the, the imagery here is the idea of if, you, if you've ever, like, I, I don't know if you'd remember this. I remember I grew up in Arizona. The first time I saw my breath, my family went to a place up in the mountains one winter, and it snowed like a centimeter, and the world shut down. Um, but, but we were up, and it was like 30 degrees, and we woke up in the morning, and we went out, and you could see it. You could see your breath. You can always feel your breath, but for the first time, you could see it. And, and you see it and you go, oh, I want to grab it. I want to grab hold of it. But I can't. That's vapor. Me, the, the word meaningless or futile doesn't quite sum this up enough because the reality is we can picture the future that we want. And we can see it. And as soon as we try and grasp hold of it, it's just going to dissipate. It's going to just disappear. It's vapor. And this is the man who had everything he could ever want. He had all power. He was not accountable to anyone except God. He had all wealth. He had all of this stuff. And he looked at everything and said it's vapor. And that's just the start of the book. And, and some of you are probably thinking right now, well, Matt, I, I came here to hear about my future, how to face my future. This, this doesn't seem very helpful. Well, well I want to encourage you right now um, that, that we're not talking about a long-off future. We're not talking about 200 years from now. Because 200 years from now, if you're sitting in here, you're going to be dead, right? I, spoiler alert. You're, you're going to die, okay? 200 years from now, I can face the future 200 years from now because I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and when I die, because I've accepted that free gift, I'm going to be in heaven with him. I can accept that future really well. But today we're going to talk about how you can face the future that's not that far away. 
How, how can you face the future? Jess and I want to have kids. And, and you know, what, what happens if we, we start working at it and we find out we're not able? That's a future I don't want to face. That's a future that sounds kind of like a bummer. Or what if we have kids, and we're thinking three probably, right? She still hasn't answered this question. I asked her in the last service. She, she's probably three. I don't know. It's up for debate. Everyone out here has twins, so maybe five. But we'll talk. Um, the, the point, though, that, that I don't want to face a future where we're not able to have kids. I don't want to face a future where we have kids. They grow up, and they look at what I've given my life to, following after the Lord, and they say, I don't want to do that. That's dumb. I don't want to face a future like that. I love studying, I love reading, I, lo- I love engaging intellectually with anything and everything I can. I, preparing for the sermon this week was such a joy. But, but someday, what if my mental capacities start to fail? What, what if I have Alzheimer's? Or, or what if I suffer from dementia? What, what if any of those things happen? That's a future I do not want to face at all. And I can't control that. It's genetics. That, I, I don't want to face a future where Jess... So, I, I hope nothing ever happens, but I don't want to face a future where her health slowly deteriorates. And no matter how much I, I pray, we just watch as she passes from that. I don't want to face that future at all. I don't want to face a future, and if you work at Walmart, I just need to say this. This is not a criticism of Walmart, but I hope someday to retire. I hope when I am like 60 or 70, I don't have to work. I hope if I choose to work, it's because we're financially well off. But the reality is, is all of the financial decisions we make could fall apart. Every car we buy could be a lemon, and we have to just pour money into it. Our, our finances could just hemorrhage. That, that could happen. And that's a future I don't want to face, but a lot of that is very outside my control. And so as we talk about how to face your future today, we're not talking about, I get to go to heaven someday. We're talking about the future that's going to happen here and now, within, from your first breath to your last. And so we're going to look at that with some themes that show up in Ecclesiastes. And the first one is this. It shows up all through the book of Ecclesiastes. Time blinks and you are gone. Time blinks and you are gone. When when I start reading the book of Ecclesiastes, one of the things I think about is there there are moms in our youth ministry that tell me about, I remember holding an infant and then they're asking me to hand them the car keys and they're driving off to college. Time blinks, and that moment is gone, and you can't slow it down. You can't stop it. it some, of, some of the, like, sixth or eighth graders in here right now are like, why is this so slow and so long, and I'm so bored, and I wish that this would just go faster? And then at, at, once you reach a certain age, you're like, I wish that this would slow down. Not, not the sermon, but my life would slow down. I, I just, I wish that I could hold on to these moments, but I can't. Time blinks, and we are gone. Solomon looks, and he, he says this in Ecclesiastes 2. He's on a quest for pleasure, for wisdom, for, for work. He's trying to figure out what is worth pursuing. And after each thing, he says something along these lines. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vapor and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Whatever King Solomon pursued, and remember, he had that power to pursue whatever he wanted. He could say, you know what, I'm going on a four-year sabbatical to just see what kind of foods I want to eat. He had that kind of power. He, he could just say, you know what, whatever I want to do, I'm going to do it. And everything he did, he got to the end of and he looked back and said, this didn't add a moment to my life. This didn't, this didn't help me have a longer life. This didn't help me slow my life down. Nothing that I gained 
or nothing that I gain can change the fact that time just marches on. Time blinks and you are gone. Last week, or two weeks ago, I had the chance, I, I graduated from Moody about three years ago from the seminary, and while I was there, Jess and I lived on campus. I, I spent Monday through Friday, like every waking minute, involved in student life. I was the student council president, I interned for a professor, I was involved in everything happening. I, I knew all the students, or if I didn't know who they were, they knew who I was, and I, I felt like, not that I was like a huge deal, but, but I was very known on campus at Moody. And, and we visited, or I visited with a professor who was being let go this summer, and, and they were having an event for some of these professors, because Moody has some budget things, that's beside the point, but, but as we were there, the first thing as we walked in, the door I wanted to walk into, I was told, you can't walk in that door anymore. And I was like, for, for three years of my life, I walked in this door every Monday through Friday, because I worked in this building, I did all this, and they're like, well, we don't, we don't use that door anymore, because we, we've changed everything. And then as we walked in, I looked around, and where my office was that I did video work in for three years, it's gone. They've moved it to another building. And then we went upstairs to the room where, where the event was, and I looked around, and I knew maybe like 30% of the students. Three years ago, this was my life. This was everything to me. I spent all of my time at school. And I looked around three years later, and people were probably wondering when I walked in, who's that weird guy with Julius? Why, why is, where's his wife? Why is he just walking in with some random dude? And, and time blinked and I was gone. The place I always parked at isn't even there anymore. They, they moved the parking lot. And that's just a little example from three years ago. For those of you who have lived longer, you, you know the passage of time. You know how that happens. I, I, even yesterday, they're putting up like a new barbecue place in Huntley. This last Christmas, Jess and I, from our window, we could see the square and the beautiful Christmas lights. Yesterday, we were sitting with Jess and her grandparents, and we're looking, and I was like, I'm never going to see the Christmas lights from our house again. It's weird. It's just a weird thing, but it's the passage of time. I mean, unless, we, unless they burn down or something. So it could happen, but hopefully that doesn't happen. Hopefully we finally get some good barbecue around here. So, amen. Um, King Solomon goes on, and he says, For who knows what is good for a man while he lives the few days of his vaporous life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell a man what will be after him under the sun? We don't know what's coming. We can't, tell you, we can't even tell you. I can't tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. I can tell you what I think is going to happen. But the reality is, is that time is completely outside our control. And, and we can't slow it down. We can't do anything to hold on to it. It just happens. And we just kind of, we deal with it. And time blinks, we are gone. In, in the book of Ecclesiastes, there's this beautiful poetry that's so, so sad because it talks about how, you know, we see the, the, the flowing river and it fills up the ocean and the ocean never fills up because the water cycles and it goes through the rain and it goes back up to the top and comes right back down. The mountain, like we're all going to die and the mountains are still going to be there. Nature is going to go on. Life finds a way. The, it, it's all going to just keep going on. And, and for us, we're, we're just going to be gone. Three or four generations from now, if your family remembers you, it's probably going to be because their kid had to do like a, a family tree for like health class in high school. That's how I know back like eight generations in my family. And what I know is I got an A. Time blinks and you are gone. The, it, the next theme ties into this one a little bit, but it takes it a much deeper level. Again, I saw under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to all. The, the big idea, the first big idea is life blinks, or time blinks, you are gone. 
The second one is life deals you accept. If you're sitting in here today, you did not pick your genetics. You did not pick your biological parents. You did not pick where you were born. You did not pick when you were born. Um, Whenever I study history, I'm like, thank you, Lord, that I was born in the days of air conditioning because I'm a sweaty man. But I had no control over that at all. I had no control of when I was born, and neither did you. That, That happens to us. There are things we can control in our lives, like little bitty things. But, but even those, there's so much that is outside our control. And the book of Ecclesiastes points this out over and over and over. There is a vapor that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vapor. The idea here, Solomon's looking around and he sees there is someone who does everything right. They always act as, as righteous as possible. They always try and do the right thing. They, they walk past trash, they pick it up, they throw it away, they recycle, they, they love their neighbors, they, they give away all their money to the poor, they do all of the right things. And then bad stuff happens to them. I, I met a guy, I, I played uh, basketball at Tintegra, and there's a guy who plays sometimes that I was talking to him, and about two years ago, he had a full-ride scholarship to a school in Florida. And as he was driving home from a practice one night, he was going through a green light at an intersection, and someone not paying attention T-boned him. He wasn't speeding. He wasn't speeding through a yellow light or anything. He was just going on a normal drive. And he's now attending ECC, which is a great choice for him, because he's never going to get that athleticism back. He tried so hard for two years, and it's just gone. It's vapor. And not because he did something super wicked, because chance happened. Or Jess and I know someone that at the company they're working at, they were given a big promotion a little while ago, and they, uh, through their promotion, they made this department. Um, it was a smaller department, the company, but they, d- they were doing such a good job in the par- department that they were two or three years ahead of schedule in all of their projections. And the company recently realized we need to lay off a bunch of people. And then they looked at this department that was one of the few profitable departments in the country, or the company, and they said, you know what? We're good to go for three years there. And they just cut them out. Other departments were being wicked with how they spent their money or the decisions they were making, and this department is the one that got the axe. Because they were so far ahead, they were doing so well that they hurt themselves. And, and you know, when, when companies go bankrupt, the thing, and this is the thing that just gets me so angry, when, when you see that CEO of the company as the company crumbles to the ground and, and all the people are laid off and they get these small severance packages and then the CEO gets like a, a like $20 million bonus check and you're just like, how did they get that? Can't they split that among all the employees? But that's not what happens. It, 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 you can be super righteous and do everything as well as you can. And there's no promise that what's going to happen will happen to you in the way that you hope that it happens. We don't have a promise of that. In fact, in the New Testament, Jesus talks over and over about if you follow me, it's, it's going to be better for you, but you're going to suffer. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be fun. You're, you're going to have to deal with hardship if you follow after me. On top of random chance happening in your life, there's also the fact that, that in my vaporous life I've seen everything, says Solomon. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, who dies in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in evil doing. So, so the, the, the idea here is you could leave today, and you could say, you know what? Everything I heard today, I, I believe everything about the God of the Bible. I am going to live my life perfectly for him. 
and you could go home, you could heat up some mac and cheese, and you, should, you could just choke on some of the noodles, and you could die. And that could just be it, even if you're doing everything right. And someone else could leave today, and they could go, you know what, God is stupid. God, I, I don't care about any of this. I don't care about the Bible. I don't care about anything that happens. And you could live to be 120, and you could pass in your sleeve, napping in a hammock on a beach in the Mediterranean, with all of your family around you, perfect relationships, and, and you could have that outcome. Be, because so much of life is chance. So much of life is genetics. You can work as hard as you want to try and be healthy, and at the end of the day, you, you could just pass away suddenly at, for something completely outside of your control. And the person next to you could smoke and drink and, and do everything, they eat whatever they want, and they may outlive you just because genetically they're better, I guess. I, I don't know if that's better or worse, but, but the point is there's so much outside of our control, even our lives. Solomon looks at this and it frustrates him because he says in Proverbs, a book that he wrote, he says, the fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. In the book of Proverbs, he says over and over, acting righteously is the right thing to do. And then in the book of Ecclesiastes, there's a point after he looks at all this where he says, you know what? Don't be overly righteous. Don't try and be overly wise. Why kill yourself doing it? He does follow that up with don't be overly wicked. Uh, and don't be a fool. Like, why die before you should? So, so the, the point here isn't don't try and be righteous. The point here is if you're trying to kill yourself, trying to, trying to be righteous by doing, I have to do everything perfectly. You can't. And even if you do, it doesn't mean you're going to live forever. Our lives are vapor. They're dust. They're, there's so much outside of our control that we just have to accept that happens to us. E- even in your families, if, if parents, you have kids, and you can't control how your kids respond to you. Right? You, you have no control over that. I have no control over it when they come in here. Like, I, you know, like on a Sunday night, if they had a bad day or if they have a ton of homework, they don't come in going, you know what, Matt wants me to behave. I'm going to behave the whole night. Some of them try. But, but let's be honest. The, the fact is, is so much of life is outside of our control. Life deals and we accept. So the first point, time blinks, we are gone. Time is completely outside of our control. Second point, life deals. We accept. We can't really control what, what comes at us. It just happens. We can control how we respond to it, but we can't really choose what's going to happen. We don't have as much control as we'd like to have. And finally, and this last one's really hard. Breath fails, you are dust. Breath fails, you are dust. At the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, some of the last lines, Solomon says, and the dust returns to the earth as it was. And this is talking about, in Genesis 2, it says God formed us out of dust and breathed life into us. So, so the dust returns to the earth as it was. That's us dying. If you've ever had to flush a goldfish, when it, when it, di- you know, it swims upside down, so you flush it, that, that goldfish turns to dust the same way we do. Uh, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. The Spirit, the word there is actually breath. So our breath, the last time we breathe, it fails, and it It just goes back up to the God who gave it. Vapor, vapor, says the preacher. All is vapor. The imagery he uses to get this across throughout the book, he says, for what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast. For all is vapor. 
for all of the knowledge we have, for, for all of the, the things that we can discover, for all of the, like, I, I love cooking, I love air conditioning, I, I, I keep bringing up air conditioning because I'm hot up here, but, but I, I love so many things that we get to enjoy by being human, I love the relationships we get to have. But at the end of the day, none of that, none of it, like no matter how hard you work, no matter how healthy you are, no matter how much kale you eat, you are going to die. Just like the animals. We, in some ways, we have no advantage over them. I do think we have some when you look into the New Testament. But there is this reality. Solomon looks around and he says, people are pursuing vapor. They pursue wealth. They pursue that next promotion. They pursue that next thing. And the reality is, is whatever they're pursuing, at the end of the day, it does not add a moment to their life, and they still die, and they can't really control what comes at them. They can try, but they can't really control it. Solomon's son, um, uh, King Solomon was the last king of a unified Israel. King Solomon, the wisest king, the son that he has that that takes his place, um, winds up splitting the kingdom in two immediately. So the kingdom that King Solomon built, it's vapor. It didn't even last like one generation. That's how quickly things change. Breath fails, you are dust. Some of you are probably right now thinking, like, "Ah, glad I came this morning. Come back next week. It's Mother's Day. It's going to be way more fun. Um, Really, it'll be a good one. And we have like a present for the mothers, so you got that to look forward to. But whatever that present is, it's vapor. It's just, <laughs> sorry, it is. But just keep that in mind. But so we've looked at three themes in the book of Ecclesiastes. Time blinks, you are gone. Life deals, you accept. Breath fails, you are dust. And when you look at these, you have to start thinking about your life differently. Because no matter what you hope to accomplish in your life, on your own, your accomplishments are vapor. Because even if, even if you're the perfect parent for your child, you can't really control how they respond. And, and at the end of all of it, I, I, you, parents, you should try and be a great parent to your children, but at the end of all of it, you're going to die, and they're going to die, and, and time's just going to keep moving. The, the solution isn't, let's just give up. I don't think. But the, the solution is we need to start thinking about what are we actually pursuing? Because so much of what we pursue is vapor. To, to parents especially right now, um, to, to everyone, but to parents especially, one of the things that breaks my heart is that with the, adva- like with the advancements of technology, um, your children know their grades the moment they get them. Um, it is so sad to me when I pick up kids on Friday from school and they are like, what did I get in this class? How much homework do I need to do this weekend? When I was their age, when I got done with school on Friday, I was like, I don't need to think about school until Tuesday. Because I never thought about school until like Monday afternoon. Uh, I'm going to be honest. Uh, but but the, the point here is, is, is technology is advanced and, and kids are being forced more and more to pursue things because if they don't pursue them, they're being given so much feedback and they're being told you need to do more and you need to do more and you need to do more. And if you don't do all of this, you're not going to go to the right college. Guess what? Kids, if I can say anything to you, it's, I've, I've helped involve, or been involved in how admissions is done. If, if your name is a name they don't like, or if the admissions counselor has a bad day, your amazing application could get passed over, not because there's anything wrong with you, but because that happens, or because there's someone that's smarter than you, and you can't control that, or someone who has a more impressive resume. You can't really control any of that. 
And we, we have so many kids in Huntley that are experiencing, in this area, that experience depression and anxiety. And then when you look at what is on their plate, they don't suffer from depression and anxiety. They're human. It's not, it, now, not to say that depression and anxiety aren't real things. But a lot of the students I talk to that are struggling with it, what they're actually struggling with is trying to do a thousand things when they can only do a hundred. And we're teaching our children to pursue vapor. And parents, that is modeled for them by you. And, and church, that is modeled for them by us. Because when we are so stressed out and so focused on the next thing we're going to get, we're, we're teaching our children and we're teaching the next generation, you have to work harder. But then you have to work harder because eventually you want to retire and you want to you, you wanna have a good life after you retire. But the reality is, is you can't control how long you're going to live. Every cop movie has the cop that, that says that he gets shot and he's like, oh, it was a day from retirement. And then he, he, you guys know that. It's a cliche. It's in like every movie. Every comedy makes fun of it now. But, but the point is we can control so little in our lives. So right now we can choose not to chase after vapor. Time blinks and you are gone. You can't control that. Life deals you accept. It's, we just, it comes to us and we're just passively a part of a lot of it. Breath fails, you are dust. We're all going to die no matter what we do. The, remember we talked we're going to be goaded a little bit today. Some of this is probably goading you and you're probably feeling like, oh, this is not comfortable. And then some of you are like, you know what? I'm fine because I get to go to heaven. We'll talk in a moment. Um, but, but what I want to encourage you on is if you're feeling goaded, write that down. Think about that. What is bothering you? Because whatever is bothering you, if the Bible is true, then these, these words in Ecclesiastes are explicitly true for us. Because God didn't put this book in and say, oh, I'm going to just get rid of it in the New Testament. The Old and New Testament are there together to give us a complete view of God and a complete view of ourselves. At the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, the final, final summary, the end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. At the end of the day, God is going to look at all of us. And, and he's going to decide whether, we, whether what we pursued was worthwhile. It's not. Or, what, or whether what, what we, how we lived, how we pursued our life, whether it's worthwhile. And so it's, Solomon says... Fear the God who can do that because everything else is vapor. The only constant, eternal thing in the universe is God. He's the only thing that's not vapor. Now, when we come to this point, some of you are thinking, I'm just so glad I get to be in heaven with him someday. And, and yes, I am so glad I get to be in heaven with God someday. But I don't want us to end on the hope we have in heaven. I want us to end on some hope that we have right now in these bodies of dust with just a little bit of breath in them. Time blinks, you are gone. 2,000 some years ago, there, there's God the Father, there's God the Son, and there's God the Spirit, and God the Son, Jesus, stepped out of heaven in its perfection and stepped into earth, into a human body. God, God Jesus, the Son, he released full divinity, not that he became less God, but he willingly submitted to be put into a body of dust and vapor. And he let go of his equality with God to take that on. To, to walk among us on this earth. And, and not just to walk among us, he started off a baby. We, we know that, that he grew and he, he learned things. And, and that can be really confusing because we're like, he's God. He knew everything. But he submitted himself into a human body 
that grew over time, that changed over time. He had memories. He had, he had thoughts. He, he dealt with, you know, his, uh, we don't know when, but we know that Jesus' dad, Joseph, passed away. His earthly dad passed away at some point during his life. He would have experienced the grief of looking and having his father not there next to him. And then he would have experienced the doling of that grief over time, but the reality of it. He lived in villages in, in Jewish culture where, where he would have, or in, around Jerusalem, he, he lived in places where the life expectancy there wasn't that great. So he would have experienced death. He would have experienced all of that and experienced how people lived through it. He experienced time the way that we do. God who is eternal, the Son, Jesus, he came down and experienced time. And I take hope in that. Because when I say time blinks, you are gone, I know that Jesus understands that and experienced it and made himself powerless and subject to it. Life deals you accept. A, a, little, a little boy in Israel in that time who was Jewish uh, um, would not have had a lot of food. Or, uh, it's not that he would have been completely like, like unable to eat. He wasn't starved. But, but what we do know is that his parents were very poor. Jesus had to deal with nights where they probably, he would, probably would have gone hungry just because they didn't have enough food to eat. He, he would have had to deal with, with weather. I, I, it's getting so hot out. I'm going to talk about air conditioning one more time. Um, it's not really that hot, but we live on the second floor in our house, and it gets so stinking hot in our bedroom that we already need the air conditioner on, or I'm just going to sweat through the sheets. Um, and I bring this up because you think about the fact that Jesus, who is God, was up in heaven from the beginning and before time even existed, was up in perfection. If he had a need, he could just say something and he had it. Jesus stepped out of that and submitted to live somewhere where he experienced hunger, where he had to sleep. When you're born, like, a, like babies sleep all the time, but, but you got to think, when you're, when you're born, you're subject to the fact that your body cycle means you need to sleep like eight hours a day. We know in the New Testament there were times where Jesus said, I want to go off and rest somewhere in an isolated place. And the crowd surrounded him so much that he couldn't do it. Jesus grew weary just like we grow weary. And sometimes he couldn't do anything about it. If he had a busy week, he just had to deal with it. Life deals in you, except Jesus experienced that the same way we do. Finally, breath fails. You are dust. We know that when Jesus was up on the cross... He gave his last breath up to the Father and he died the same way we all will someday. And he did that for us. He experienced that personally for us. And where I find hope in this is that, that the God of heaven, it's not just that we get to go up to heaven with him, it's that he looked at us, a bunch of dust that pursue vapor, all the things we pursue are useless to God because at the best, anything we pursue, God already has perfectly. But God looked at us and said, I am willing to send my son to a bunch of just piles of dust that pursue vapor. And I'm willing to step into that world with them to offer them a way to me. I, I don't want you to leave here today thinking, all is vapor, I, can, I, just, I give up, I'm done, this is a waste of time. What I want to encourage you to think about today is to think about the one who came to make what was vapor solid, to, to make it graspable. Jesus, who was fully God, offered us a way to have good relations with him and, and with God, to have a right relationship with God. Not because we could earn that at our best. We could never earn that relationship with God, but he brought it to us. 
And that's amazing. And if you're someone here who you're like, I already knew this. This should change how you look at all the people around you. Because as Christians, we are subject to this. Just like every other person, we just have hope in who Jesus is. So when we meet people that, that don't understand what we understand, they still deal with time blinks. They deal with life deals and they, breath fails, but they don't have that same hope we have on the other end. And we should look at them and not say, oh man, they are pursuing the most worthless things. We should look at them and say, we need to show them what's solid and worth pursuing. I'm going to close with a passage from Philippians where we see Jesus enters human form. It, it's one of the most beautiful passages in the New Testament. I would encourage you this week, if you have time, read the book of Ecclesiastes. It takes like 40 minutes. It's not that long. And then as soon as you finish that, there's some questions on the back of your green sheet. Answer those and then read it Philippians where you see the other side, the New Testament response. It's amazing. So if you'd bow your heads, I'm going to read this passage and then we'll pray and we'll close. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Creator God, we are so thankful that you have given us life, that you have given us breath, that, that you see value in us, even though we are just piles of dust. We thank you that you sent your Son, that he experienced time and chance and death in order to provide us with hope. And I pray as we leave here, we would recognize what you are willing to release and give up for our benefit and that we would just step into that and just enjoy all that you have offered us. We thank you that, that despite how little worth we have, you have given us so much worth through your son. And we pray we would be those that just rest in that, that when we feel our limitations, we would not say, I wish I had more control, but instead we would say, wow, there is a God that loves me even though I have so little control. We thank you for all the hope you offer us, even as you goad us and prod us to move. It's in your name we pray. Amen.